Welcome to the Peace of Living podcast. I am your host, Jason, and I'm so happy to be with you today. Uh, apologize for not posting last week. It just ended up being kind of a crazy week, just getting a lot of things done, and we've had just some sickness running through the house and other things. So anyway, I'm just so grateful to be with you today. Speaking of uh, illness or sickness, Allie is out today, so you are with me And for today, I wanted to share just kind of a more brief message, although it'll still probably be about half an hour. I guess that's kind of brief for me, at least. Uh, Just more talking just briefly about more, uh, sorry, about how Jesus Christ is always the answer. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast in previous episodes, which, by the way, thank you all for listening and thank you for sharing. You've been so amazing. It's so awesome to see different social media posts or texts or whatever come in thanking us for certain episodes or or just hearing that you've shared it with people. This is completely a labor of love, and this podcast only gets noticed by word of mouth and by your rating and reviewing um, and subscribing to it. So we appreciate that. And if if you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, we would definitely appreciate that not that you know we're in we're in it for anything other than just spreading more of Jesus Christ's good news so if you wouldn't mind that'd be awesome so that said uh, a couple weeks ago uh, so I'm on the high council in my stake and I was given the assignment by the stake to speak on uh, the talk how Jesus Christ is is the answer he's always the answer by President Nelson it was this closing address from uh, the conference before last I think of April of last year. And he kind of mentions it. Uh, it's not a long. It's not a long talk. So he he does go into it a little bit, but it's kind of brief. And so I struggled and struggled to kind of understand where I should go with um with the talk. And just there's so many things I can say about how Jesus Christ is the answer in our lives. But as I thought and prayed a lot about it, because I didn't really know until like the day before what direction. I should take some, some, some talks and some lessons I know exactly before, you know, way beforehand, but this one took up until kind of the 11th hour. And the thought came to me that we need to talk and see Jesus for who he really is. Um, sometimes I think that we're afraid to let Jesus into our life or afraid to fully embrace the gospel and his, uh, and, and his good news and even his commandments, um, and we're afraid of maybe just even, maybe not even that, but just afraid of him, which is kind of, which sounds kind of strange. It's like, who would be afraid of Jesus? But I think sometimes, you know, we are, we might think that he, you know, might be angry with us for something or disappointed, or he, maybe he's out to get us or punish us or, or whatever. And I wanted just to take some time and share, um, that talk and kind of just illustrate how, who who Jesus really is and how when when maybe we are feeling ashamed or embarrassed Jesus isn't the one to run from he's the one to run to maybe when uh we, we are feeling you know for example intimidated or overwhelmed uh Jesus isn't the one to run away from and think he's going to make it worse he's the one to to open our eyes to and to walk toward um when we're feeling desperate and out of luck and maybe unclean or forgotten or you know sidelined by society or friends or you know jobs or whatever um he's not he's not he's the one to go to and to reach out to um 
when we've made mistakes and maybe we're feeling embarrassed, like I said, or ashamed or full of guilt. Uh, sometimes maybe we're afraid of going to Jesus or going even to the bishop or whatever, because we might feel like, well, he's going to be so disappointed. He's going to cast stones at me and I need to, I need to, you know, be punished for this or, you know, uh, experience whatever, some pain. And in fact, but Jesus is, is the one who's not going to be casting stones. And so in fact, he just wants to help. Um, when maybe we're feeling unclean and full of disease, uh, and we've just, you know, have, uh, we're full of maybe addiction or full of just struggles and challenges. And, you know, no one, uh, why would anybody want to be around me? Or why would, why would even someone want to love me? Or why would someone want to, to pay attention to me when I'm full of whatever? And I feel like maybe I'm just rotting from the inside out. I want to show you today who Jesus really is in all these circumstances and how he's not the one to turn us away or to be angry or to think that we're disgusting or too far gone. In fact, he is the answer in in every circumstance. And this is these are just a this is just a small sampling of scripture stories that illustrate how Jesus is the answer no matter our circumstances, no matter our weakness, no matter our um you know, our insecurities even. Um he is the one. He's not anything to be afraid of or or nervous about. He's he is there for that purpose to help and to have help carry that burden and to give healing and give relief and give peace and hope and confidence. And he is the one to give all that. And it's he's the only true source of those things in a lasting form, in a way that will last beyond just moments or minutes. And so with that, I want to share with you this talk. And I hope that you can hear it with an open heart and an open mind just to see more of who Jesus Christ really is and how he is the answer and his gospel is the answer, his restored gospel. And uh, with all of that comes with it, with prophets and, and priesthood power and authority and ordinances and especially covenants, his gospel and he, his life, his example, and he himself personally is the answer. I testify of that. And so I hope you enjoy this talk and I can't wait to be with you. Uh, we can't wait to be with you again next week and we love you. We're very prayerful about what we share on this podcast and we do pray that it helps many of you, if nothing more than to bring more of the joy and peace of Jesus Christ. Like the scriptures say, Hap or glad, hap, what does it say? The how beautiful the feet upon the mountains of those that publish peace, and that's what we're trying to do here is just publish His peace. And so, uh, with that, I leave you with my talk and uh, with my love, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy the talk. Well, it's always great to be back in the sixth ward, and really, really thank you so much for that wonderful musical number. It reminds me, J. Reuben Clark said that we get closer to God through music than by any other means besides prayer. And I really appreciate just great music. Just, just real quick. So it, many of you know me. We used to live here. I'm the Brewster's son-in-law. And, uh, but many of you know my son, Finn. He's obsessed with like clocks and bells and bell tower. Anyway, he's like a really old soul, but it's really cool. But uh, a few weeks ago, we got to, uh, I called the uh, father um, Martin Diaz down at the Cathedral of the Madeline downtown. And he uh, had his chief sexton, Willie, take us up into the bell towers of the Cathedral of the Madeline to see the bells. And it was really cool. But he also gave us a little tour of the 
attic. So we were up above the main part of the cathedral. And just as we're up there, you know, walking across the rafter, it was like so awesome. But we could, uh, the choir was downstairs uh, practicing and it was kind of just like being on top of a little piece of heaven. It was just beautiful. And so anyway, I'm just really grateful for the great music. Great to be here. It's always like coming home and uh, it's just so good to see all of your faces. So a story from the scriptures that's always kind of haunted me is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that parable is the only parable that's almost repeated word for word uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants. So of all the parables the Lord said in the New Testament, that one is the only one that's, like I said, repeated almost word for word, which tells me it's probably pretty important. If you remember that parable, uh, the gist of it is, is that you have wheat and you have these things called tares uh, that grow up side by side. And while they're growing up, you can't tell the difference. They kind of just look the same, which kind of poses a problem, right? If you're growing up and you can't really tell the difference between something that is good and nutritious and something that is poisonous, then you could easily mistake wheat for a tear and you could mistake tear for a wheat. And this is especially hard, and it's, it's, the language literally reads that while we're growing up or while the wheat and the tares are growing, you can't really distinguish the two until they're fully grown. And so this is especially relevant for like younger people, but we're all growing up in a way. And the way I think about it is you have kind of four different options uh, when it comes to influences in our lives that could be wheat or look like wheat but are really tares or things that might look like tears that are really weak. Maybe weeks, for example, we see something or we see someone or we see an influence or we see something that looks like wheat and nutritious and good. And we come to find out it really is. I'm glad that person, I'm glad that influence, I'm glad that teaching or whatever is now part of my life. It's good for me, right? The second possibility that I see is that you might see something as a tear and something poisonous, something I don't really want that in my life. And we wisely keep it out. And it turns out it actually is poisonous. Where this gets tricky though, like I already mentioned, is that we might see something or see a person or see an influence or whatever as wheat, but they're really actually a tear. I might think you're a friend, but in reality you are poison and you could kill me. Or maybe even worse is I might see someone or an influence or a teaching or maybe even the church or the prophet as a tear, as poison, and I keep them out of my life. I don't want that in my life. I don't want Jesus in my life because it might be poison. It might be uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want him in my life when actually we're keeping out the very thing that's going to bring us the greatest nutrition that we could possibly receive spiritually. And so it is kind of a problem. The Doctrine of Covenants, when this parable is repeated, specifically calls out prophets and helping us discern between wheat and tares talks about priesthood leaders and priesthood powers and influence, and also mentions, and I kind of pull in the third P, prophets, priesthood, and parents can help us. But even beyond that, it's challenging, especially, and it's risky, especially when we think of potentially keeping Jesus out of our lives, because we might view him as something that's going to make our life terrible, <laughs> We might say, well, if I let Jesus into my life, then I'm going to be uncomfortable. He's going to, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to repent. 
Maybe if I let Jesus, if I fully embrace Jesus and like really own being a disciple of Jesus Christ and a member of his church, then maybe I'll be perceived as whatever. I don't want, I want, I don't want people to think I'm like too into this, right? <laughs> I want to keep it like a healthy distance because if I fully embrace this, I've got to do callings and I've got to repent and I've got to quit my addictions and I've got to sacrifice more of my time and even my money. Ah, it's kind of poisonous and I don't really want it. And that's exactly what so many of us do at times, all of us with Jesus, is we think we just, I'm going to keep him out. That we, I don't know if I really want to fully ingest that. Which is just not true about him. We think that he's just going to make our lives this way. And it's just not true. For example, like even this week with the reading of the tree of life, I mean, Lehi goes to the tree And sure, there's other sweet, joyful, happy things in our lives. But Lehi, when he tastes that fruit, if you remember, he describes it as the most sweet. That fruit was the most desirable. And it brought me more joy than anything else. I'm not saying there's other, not other things that could bring you joy. There are, but Lehi Lehi is like, look, once you've tasted this thing, you won't want anything else, but you've got to ingest it you got to enjoy it. And that fruit is one of the obviously representative of Jesus Christ, his atonement, his love, and his restored gospel. Uh, even President Nelson said many times, but in one of his talks a few years ago in 2020, he said the key for success in this life, period, doesn't matter if it's for school, with friends, with family, with your work, with church stuff. The key to success for in this life and happiness is to not only hear him, but to hearken to him. The first word of the doctrine and covenants is to hearken, to not just hear the words of Jesus, but to act on them. But the thing is, is that every time um, the idea of like listening to Jesus and hearkening to his words can seem a little intimidating again, because we're fearful of maybe how he might come into our life. Let me give you just a couple examples. Okay. So for example, in, in Exodus, when Jesus is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, this is literally his reaction. He says this. um, Moreover, he said, when Jesus said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. Here is the savior of the world, the God of Abraham, coming in to help Moses, to help free the people, Moses' own people. And his first reaction is when Jesus is coming in, like, hey, I'm here and I'm ready to help. Moses is hiding his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Um, Adam and Eve take the fruit. Their first reaction when God calls out, Adam, where art thou? is to hide and to cover themselves with whatever covering they can make with measly little aprons that are going to fall out. And that's not a great solution, right? Their first reaction is to hide. And maybe we're hiding from God because we're feeling ashamed or we're embarrassed or we think he's disappointed in us. Oh, we made a wrong choice like Adam and Eve. Maybe Moses is like, look, I'm nobody. Like, why are you coming to me? I'm afraid of what that could mean, right? I know that he, I don't know. A few months ago, I was at an event in Colorado, and uh, for a bunch of, anyway, I've, yeah, I've 
it's a weird, complicated thing. But I was in an event for Colorado for like an automotive thing. And one of the journalists there that uh, I was chatting with, he's a good friend of mine, actually. And he was just saying, we had gotten to like this weirdly spiritual conversation in the middle of like this dinner with all these journalists where everybody's getting hammered and except for me. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but he's like, we're talking about God and he's just like, look, I don't know how I feel about like coming to God. And like, I'm and his own words. He was like, I feel like God is disappointed in me. And I don't know if I can go to him. And I just sat there like in the middle of this restaurant. Right. And he's sitting on this bar stool. I'm sitting in my chair and he's like, I'm like, Ben, like, I testify to you that you have nothing to be afraid of. He is not the Jesus and not the Savior you fear he is. Jesus is the Savior you hope he is. I promise you that. And it's kind of like another way I like to think about it is like, um, you know, if someone like on my street just in the last couple of years has been a couple crazy events with just neighbors and where the police and law enforcement has showed up. And I'll tell you at 2 a.m. when there's been gunshots down the street, there's been, this is just down by the white church, right? There's been nothing more comforting to than to see the red and blue lights flashing and the cars there and the officers. It's so amazing. And then also like there's nothing more terrifying than when you're allegedly speeding, you weren't actually speeding, right? <laughs> Nothing more terrifying than when the red and blue lights show up behind your car, right? It's like we feel that way sometimes maybe about God or maybe like the painting with Jesus when he's knocking on the door and there's no doorknob. I wonder why the people aren't living, letting him in. Is it, wait, 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 I don't have, I gotta get my church clothes on. Let me get my tie on before you come in, Jesus. Let me make sure my house is all clean and spotless before. He's knocking right now. He's not waiting for the house to be spotless or for your life to be done or for you to finally quit porn or to get over your addictions or to show up on church and actually do your callings. He's not waiting. He's knocking at the door right now. He's not waiting for you to be dressed up. He wants to come in as you are. He wants to come in and help clean up the mess. And in fact, he wants to show you even a better way, right? Like uh, Barrett talked about the woman with the issue of blood. That reminded me of that same story. Like, Here's this poor woman that's been having this issue of blood bleeding for 12 years. She spent all of her money. She's an outcast. She's unclean. This is a miserable, horrible experience for her. And she's got nobody in her life. She's living on her own. And the best idea that she can think of is just like, you know what? I'm unclean. I'm dirty. I'm going to take this one shot. Here he is. I think he can help me. And I'm just going to reach out and try to touch the hem of his robe. And it's the best idea she could come up with. And once she, once she has that experience, immediately it says the fountain in her was dried up. It's gone. The problem is gone. Can you imagine the emotion that was in her heart at that moment? After 12 years of that, just 12, this horror, the emotion, she would have been elated, overjoyed, just amazed. This is incredible. And then the very next sentence from Jesus is, who touched me? And immediately the emotion goes from elation to what? To fear. Who touched me? And she's like, oh no. And in, uh, in Luke at chapter eight, it says that all denied touching him. When all had denied, Jesus then also said again, who touched me? I felt power leave me. 
And then this breaks my heart. And then she's at this, the wording says, and she fearing and trembling. Oh no, I've done something wrong. Oh no, he's going to get so mad at me. Fearing and trembling, she says, I did it. And the first word back to her is daughter. Daughter. You're not in drama. I'm not angry. He is the Jesus we hope he is. <laughs> in Doctrine and Covenants section 111, when Joseph Smith takes everybody up to go look for gold <laughs> under the house in Massachusetts in Salem, and they get there, and they can't remember where Sidney Rigdon can't remember where the house is, and he's like, oh, I don't know where it is. And so they just went this huge journey, and they thought it was inspired. The first verse in section 111 to Joseph, the Lord says, I'm not displeased with your folly. <laughs> it's okay. You did the best you could, Joseph. The woman taken in adultery, here she is terrified that this Jesus is going to condemn her. The Joseph Smith translation, after their little interaction and everybody leaves, the Joseph Smith translation that concludes that little story says that the woman who had just literally been caught in the act and is staring face to face with her savior and her judge said that she left that interaction glorifying God. He didn't throw a stone at her. He didn't make her feel terrible. She left even feeling on top of the world, right? Who is this? The prodigal son comes back and says, I'm not even worthy to be your servant, right? And the father says, no, you're not coming back after all this is my servant. You're coming back as my son. Kill the fatted calf, bring a robe, put a ring on him. We never come back as just a servant. We come back as a son. With the leper, the leper comes and he's like, I know if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. This is a leper that's full of leprosy. How many of us in here are full of leprosy, full of disease, full of whatever, right? If you want to, I know you can make me clean, but I don't know if you want to because I'm full of leprosy. I'm disgusting. I'm gross. I've been living with this stuff forever. I'm literally rotting from the inside out is what leprosy does. And Jesus simply just says, I will. He turns to him. I will be thou clean. You're not too full of leprosy for me. I just want to reiterate what's already been said by President Nelson. Whatever questions or problems you have, the answer is always found in the life and teachings of Jesus and his restored gospel. Learn more about his atonement, his love, his mercy, his doctrine, and his restored gospel of healing and progression. Turn to him, follow him, open the door today. Stop waiting until you're perfectly dressed or the house is clean or whatever spotless. He wants to come in right now and he wants to show you even a better way. To close, Chieko Okazaki, who is, I believe, in the General Relief Society presidency years ago, said this, uh, and I won't read it all, but it's an amazing quote. She says, we talk in generalities about the sins of all humankind, about the suffering of the entire human family, but we don't experience pain in generalities. We experience it individually. That means he knows what it felt like when your mother died of cancer and how it was for your mother and how it is still for you. 
He knows what it felt like to lose the student body election. He knows that moment when the brakes locked and the car started to skid. He experienced the slave ship sailing from Ghana toward Virginia. He experienced the gas chambers at Dachau. He experienced napalm in Vietnam. He knows about drug addiction and alcoholism. On a profound level, he understands the hunger to hold your baby that sustains you through pregnancy. He understands both the physical pain of giving birth and the immense joy. He knows and about PMS and cramps and menopause. He understands about rape and infertility and abortion. His last recorded words to his disciples were, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He understands your mother pain when your fifth grader leaves for kindergarten or five-year-old leaves for kindergarten, when a bully picks on your fifth grader, when your daughter calls to say the new baby has Down syndrome. He knows your mother rage when a trusted babysitter abuses your two-year-old, when someone gives your 13-year-old drugs, when someone seduces your 17-year-old. He knows the pain you live with when you come home to a quiet apartment where the only children are visitors. When you hear that your former husband and his new wife were sealed in the temple last week, when your 50th wedding anniversary rolls around and your husband has been dead for two years, he knows all that. He's been there. He's been lower than all of that. He's not waiting for us to be perfect. Perfect people don't need a savior. He came to save his people in their imperfections. He is the Lord of the living and the living make mistakes. He's not embarrassed by us, angry at us, or shocked. He wants us in our brokenness, in our unhappiness, in our guilt, and in our grief. I testify to you that Jesus Christ is the Savior that you hope he is, and he's not the one that sometimes we fear he might be. I felt his power in my own life. I know that he lives. I know that Joseph Smith is the prophet of this dispensation. And that the Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion. Read it, love it, even more than diamonds and rubies. And I testify it will change your life. And do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.